I would invite you to remain standing as you're able for the Word of God. First, I want to thank Mark Williams, who filled in on the Proverbs for me the last uh, couple of Sundays. If you're missing Mark and there's not enough uh, wisdom from the Proverbs this morning, you can uh, go over at 11 o'clock to the Christian Life Center, and he's preaching on the Little Mermaid uh, today. Much wisdom there, I'm sure. Uh, The fundamental conviction of the people of God for more than 3,000 years has been uh, captured in what we call the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. I'm going to invite you to repeat a little bit after me in Hebrew, and then we'll do it in English together. So if you repeat after me, Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Hero Israel. The Lord is your God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart. With all your soul and with all your might. And now let's hear what God says to us from the Proverbs, beginning in chapter 9, verse 7. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. I don't find it appropriate normally in my sermon to quote comedian Ron Tater Salad White. But on this occasion, I could not resist. He had a line that I heard the other day. went something like this. I had the right to remain silent. I just didn't have the ability. I understand that. And I think often there is a time for silence. One of the Proverbs goes like this, that a fool who is silent is considered wise. You know, when you open your mouth, then they figure out that you're not so wise. But what I want you to think about this morning is on the other side of that coin, sometimes there's a time to speak. Sometimes there is a time when people need to hear. They need advice. They need help. They need counsel. In Proverbs 11 and again in Proverbs 15, we are promised that with many advisors, plans succeed. When there's a lot of help, when there's a lot of good counsel, things usually work out. Proverbs 15 reminds us that a wholesome tongue, in other words, people that speak helpful things, are a tree of life. So there is a place in this world for good advice. I'm reminded of what uh, one of my favorite pastors, John Ortberg, said a few years ago. He was reading the paper, and in one of those little things on the inside section on page two, it talked about a guy in Italy who had been arrested because he had 101 wives. When they brought him before the judge and they asked him, his defense was this. He said, I got bad legal advice. Well, I'm not sure what the advice was, 99 but not one more? Or did he not really hear what was offered? I think in our world today, there's probably no lack of advice floating around on the airwaves and on blogs and uh, all, all throughout our world, people are firing uh, unsolicited advice all the time. I'm reminded of what Soren Kierkegaard said about Denmark 150 years ago. He was just remarking at how this Christian nation could be so unchristian. And he said, what we lack is not information. Something else is lacking. And he suggested it wasn't that there wasn't enough information around, but maybe the way that it was being delivered was the issue. And I want to follow that up this morning with the Proverbs 
and tell you that I really believe there's a lot of need for good advice in our world and that there's a lot of advice being thrown around. But maybe the issue is the advice is not given in a way that people can receive it. So taking some wisdom from the Proverbs this morning, I want to talk with you for a few moments about how you might be most helpful in giving advice to others. And and then we'll talk about how you might be helped when you receive advice from others. The first thing I would tell you is this, is only give advice to someone with whom you have an ongoing relationship. Uh, Proverbs 27, 6 has these words that, um, that the wounds of a friend, the wounds of a friend are, are, are helpful, are, are, uh, are wonderful. And that used to bother me, like, why would a friend wound you? But as I've come to understand the proverb, what it's saying is sometimes when a friend gives you advice, it may sting. But because they're your friend, they are giving it to you to help you. So the other side of that is not only does sometimes does it sting, but more importantly, it's given out of friendship. So the first thing is, I think uh, one of the things is that when you give advice, it ought to be out of an ongoing relationship. Make sure if you're advising or counseling someone that you have earned the right to speak into their life. That you can't just be some random acquaintance or somebody with whom they have little or no relationship that is constructive and you jump into their life and into their world. Second piece of advice is this. Give your advice to someone who's teachable. Chapter 9 is all about if you work with scoffers and wicked people, it's just going to come back to you in the form of insults and abuse. Don't waste your time on people who don't want to change, who don't want to learn who don't want to grow, who really don't want any help. If someone is unteachable, they're not going to receive your pearls of wisdom. It's just not going to be helpful to them. The late Rabbi Edwin uh, Friedman, uh, who was uh, a family systems expert, had a phrase that I really think sums this up. He said that unmotivated people are notoriously impervious to insight. I'll run that by again. Unmotivated people, people who are unteachable, who don't want to change, who don't want to grow in their life, they are notoriously impervious to your insight. They're just, they have a shield. They're not going to receive what you have to say. Make sure a person is teachable when you seek uh, to teach them. And there are all sorts of uh, proverbs that talk about never answer a fool according to his folly. You know, don't bother to try to uh, lecture or, or help a scoffer or a wicked uh, person. Now, one thing uh, I think is that uh, it, sometimes it's hard for us uh, to recognize a person who's unteachable. But most of the time, I think, if you'll sit down for a moment, uh, they make themselves pretty obvious. I, I love the uh, fable that Friedman tells to illustrate his uh, point. And it was about a man who just startled his family and frustrated them because one day he announced to them that he was dead. And he just went in the room, closed the door. Don't bother me, I'm dead. Wouldn't speak to anybody. They called the rabbi over. The rabbi couldn't make any progress. They called his boss over. His boss couldn't make any progress. Finally, in desperation, they called for the family doctor. The family doctor, they explain the situation. He goes in, and all of a sudden you hear a scream. And then the doctor comes out and says, well, I think we've solved that. Said, well, what did you do, doctor? He said, well, I took out my scalpel and I cut him. And he was bleeding. And they said, oh, thank you, doctor. And the doctor said, no problem. I think that will be enough of this nonsense. So they went in, and there was the, the man who had claimed to be dead, sitting on the bed, bleeding and, and holding it. And he looked up to them, and he said, it appears that I've been wrong. And they were so relieved, and then he said to them, dead men do in fact bleed. 
You know, you can cut people and you can give all your best insight and wisdom. And if they're unmotivated, it's not going to work. Now, sometimes people are not just unteachable. Sometimes the issue is that they're teachable, but you've just chosen the wrong time. You just haven't got a teachable moment. Now, having raised three kids and three tennis players, I can tell you I have wasted an awful lot of good tennis advice on my three sons. And it wasn't their fault. It was mine. I chose the exact wrong moment to make uh, the points to them, to try to do uh, the illustration. My son said this morning, my youngest who still plays, that he's going to go hear The Little Mermaid. But I told you I was going to tell that. And he agreed (laughs) that usually at the wrong moment, I will offer something that really could be helpful if it were at the right moment. So sometimes the person isn't teachable, but sometimes it's just not a teachable moment, so watch for that. And then the third thing I would tell you is that when you offer counsel and advice, you must do it in a helpful, positive manner. Sometimes things aren't heard because you've, just, you, you've done it in a manner that's too stark or, or too negative. Um, uh, Stephen Scott is a writer, producer, entrepreneur who lives in the Phoenix area, but he's kind of got a side business on giving people advice and writing life advice and uh, business advice. And so he had a show on PBS, and he said one time he had a live audience in, on, uh, in, in the studio for PBS, and he asked them this question. He said, were any of you ever hurt deeply by something your parents said to you? Raise your hand. Every hand in the room shot up. 100%. Now, I'm always reminded that the world as an 8-year-old looks different than the world of of, a 48-year-old. And and sometimes, you know, truth and reality are in the eyes of the holder. But on the other hand, it reminded me that that was probably true. That there have been many times with my children that I've hurt them deeply because the way I communicated something that was meant to be helpful was not communicated in a very helpful way. So a couple of things I'd offer on that I think is most helpful if you at least use what Gary Smalley calls the sandwich method. And the sandwich method is a, a slice of something really positive, a slice of, then of the correction or uh, inside the correction that you think they need to make, and then a slice again of something really positive. And so you sandwich the critique uh, between the positive comments. Other people are stronger than that. They don't think two to one is a close enough ratio at all. I've heard people say that you should have three positive uh, reinforcements for uh, and and out of boys and out of girls for a critique, every critique that you would give. I've heard as much as nine to one. Uh, but the idea is it it's less stinging and it's received better if you wrap it in things that are extremely positive. The other piece of advice is this: Proverbs eighteen thirteen says, "A person who speaks before he listens, a person who answers before he listens, is a fool." Sometimes we offer advice and we really haven't heard the person through first. Do you remember those quiz shows and, and they would start the question and people would buzz in as quickly as they could with the answer? Weren't you always frustrated with a person who would buzz in every time before the, the question was even read like one-third of, of the way through? And yet I find that often that's been my pattern in life, that I buzz in on somebody's life before I've really heard the whole thing. And so I don't get it right. I don't get anywhere close. And so I would encourage you when, you, when you are constructive in counseling and giving advice to people, do it out of relationship. Make sure they're in a teachable place and make sure you do it in a real positive, uh, positive way uh, where you've really heard them. Now, a couple of cautions or 
encouragement. People are responsible for their own lives. People have to own their own stuff before God. Even if they're your children, you cannot own it for them. So there's a limit to what you're going to be able to do. And secondly, your ability to fix and change other people is extremely limited. Um, if you don't believe me, do, do get married and, and try that one out. But um, only the Holy Spirit, working with a willing person, can have that kind of change. So, uh, so be mindful of that. Now, as a semi-public person, I get opportunity to hear all sorts of unsolicited counsel and advice, and that's the other side of the coin. I just thought for a moment I, I'd kind of walk you through uh, what I do when I get unsolicited counsel and advice that uh, uh, that comes my way, because uh, quite frankly, uh, it often uh, feels uh, stinging to a person. And, and if you feel stung by something you didn't solicit and something that came your way, please remember uh, that Jesus uh, was criticized for the majority of his ministry and eventually killed. Uh, every person uh, will be criticized unjustly. It just, it just comes with the territory of, 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 being, of being human. Also, though, remember this, that Proverbs 9 says, if you say something to a wise person, they will get wiser. If you correct a wise person, they will grow in their learning. And so sometimes critique from others, whether it's unsolicited or not, can be the breakfast of champions. And it can be the thing that moves us a little further down the road of faith and and life but be that as it may let me tell you when, when i get unsolicited critique and it and, and especially if it stings a little there are three things that usually i do the first one is this just like my grandmother told me years ago i always consider the source when someone offers you something consider the source i consider the track record had they ever offered me anything before was it helpful was it on target what's the track record um with with this person Another thing I consider on the source is this. What's their motivation? What's their motivation? If they're very angry with me and they offer a critique, I'm pretty sure that's not going to be too helpful uh, because their, their, uh, their motivation probably is not necessarily in, in my, uh, for my best interest. But what, what's their motivation? That's the first thing. Second thing is this. I try to determine the accuracy of what they're saying. Is there a kernel of truth or more than a kernel of truth in this critique. Some years ago, I was um, walking down the hall upstairs in the office area, and a woman with whom, uh, a volunteer in our church, wonderful woman, uh, that I worked with quite a bit, said, are you angry with me? Are you upset? Have I done something to offend you? And I'm like, no, not that I think of. And, uh, and we kind of went on, and I thought, oh, I wondered what that was about. And so I went back to her, and I said, tell me what gave you that impression. And she taught me about myself that often when I'm on my way to do something around the church, I'm on my way. And, and often I won't uh, lock eyes very much with a person. And it's not that, that I mean to ignore them or act like they're not there. It's that I'm trying to get to the next place and do something while I'm remembering what I'm going to do. And she taught me a very important lesson that whatever I was going to do was less important than the people that I would encounter on the way. And that was a very helpful a corrective that it turned out there was a huge, there's more than a kernel of truth in her observation about my life and, and my behavior. Then the third thing is that I will uh, take it under advisement. I'll sleep on it. I'll put it under my pillow. I'll put it in my prayer journal. And I'll chew on it a while to see, because I may throw it out and say there's no truth in it. But sometimes if I give it 24 hours or give it up to God for a while, I find that there was some truth that 
that I'm missing that. So I want to take it under advisement. And one of the ways that I've learned to think of criticism in responding to it is think of it as mining for gold. That perhaps um, where you have found yourself in the, in the, in the, the bottom of, of perhaps this very dark mine is actually a place that can bring you great wealth, can bring you something really good. Uh, I try to think of responding to criticism as, as gold mining, looking for what's there that might uh, really help. Many years ago, uh, we took our two children at that time to one of those uh, ghost towns in Colorado, a mining town where there used to be a lot of uh, uh, the veins of gold uh, that would be there. And so, you know, we did the deal where we, you know, panned for gold, and, and I didn't do it very enthusiastically. I wasn't expecting any gold. I wasn't looking for any gold. I personally didn't find any gold. Had I been there 150 years earlier, I would have done it most enthusiastically. And I would have expected that there would have been gold, and I may very well have found some gold. I'm trying to have that attitude now when I get critiques. I want to expect that there is gold there. And if I look for it, more often than not, I may find it.